This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We've made it all the way to Psalm 42 this morning. I like to start out with the psalm saying, meanwhile, back at the ranch, because that's what's going on. We've been following Joseph's life after he was sold into slavery into Egypt by his brothers. And we spent the last couple of chapters dealing with his advancement by faith and his, his coming to power in Egypt. And his brothers have just been back at home being his brothers. And we see that in this passage because there's a couple of things that are glaring. They're not said out in the open, one of them is, but the other one is in the background, in the actions of their father. But you can obviously, from this Bible study, that that his brother's character has not changed. They haven't learned a great deal. Maybe one or two of them learned a little bit and have grown from it. But generally speaking, the father doesn't see a whole lot of growth in any of them, and he he acts that way. And oftentimes, parents get in their head something about their children, and they can't shake it loose. But sometimes, they just continue to see the same actions going on in their children in their adulthood, and they don't trust those actions, and they're... And, there you are. And it says it says here in verse 1 of chapter 42, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Now, that's interesting, and I think it's important. First of all, there was a famine, and the Bible says in chapter 41 that the famine was throughout the land. It was all over the face of the earth. It was a huge famine, and there was a message or there was a word that came up from Egypt into into Canaan that there was grain in Egypt. And notice, notice there's grain in Egypt. There is a ha- answer. There's a place to, to receive food and your family not to die. And these brothers who are quick to take action when the actions comport or conform to their actual nature, those these young men who are quick to take action in the past now are hesitant to do anything. And that's what happens when we, first of all, walk in sin. And second of all, when we don't walk by faith and you go, aren't those both the same thing? Yes, they are. But they are two aspects to the same coin. They're two sides to the same coin. First of all, when we walk in sin, fear reigns in our heart. And that is going to be true in every situation. Fear is going to reign in your heart when you're one of God's people and you walk in sin. And it is going to control you. It is going to inform all your decisions. It's going to make sure that uh, your decisions are out of line with what is good, right, reasonable, wise from God. Always is, always has been. And if you don't know that, you just haven't opened your eyes and recognized it. Because I can promise you this, when you're walking outside of God's will, fear 
is dominating and controlling almost every part of your life. And oftentimes I have been in that situation where I was looking around and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And I realized every decision I make and everything I'm doing is based totally off of fear. And I've said to myself, why would I want to live my life that way? Why would I, why would I want to protect what, what is horrible and unenjoyable as far as my life is concerned right now and continue to walk in fear? Why would I do that? And realized even in the midst of that, fear is devastating. Fear is debilitating. It eventually leads to you to being that you absolutely do nothing that is of value for you or for anybody else. And eventually you begin to, that spirit of fear begins to squeeze out the breath of life in you. And it really does. It really is that is that squeezing of every notion of goodness, all the fresh air and the life and the light that's there, that fear just begins to coil around you and slowly destroys you. And by the way, you think that you're acting in such a way as to protect and what you're really doing is you are making it easier for that fear to squeeze the life out of you. And sin does that, and it causes that to happen. Also, by the way, not walking in faith causes you to not react to the opportunities that God has for you out there. It ta- causes you to be hesitant. It causes you to uh, not uh see the opportunities. And when you do see the opportunities, it causes you to come up with every reason why not to do what is quite clearly God's will and God's opportunity for your life. It starts out, and you can see this in so many ways. When God first starts dealing with you, when God first starts calling you the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls it, when the Holy Spirit begins to try to get you to come and begin begin this walk of faith that God talks about. Many times we talk about people sitting in the aisle hearing hearing the gospel call and then gripping the pew in front of them or in modern times the chair in front of them, leaning over, and you can oftentimes even see that happening. They're leaned over and they're grabbing hold of the chair so that they can stay in position because they're so fearful of what might be coming down the road, what might happen if they take that step of faith. They're so used to that fear. They're so used to that doubt. They're so used to that worry. And if they step out and begin to walk after God, it is so foreign to their lifestyle. It's so foreign to their way of thinking. They hold on to it and hold on to it. And you'll see that. And I've seen that so many times in worship and so many times when I've preached a gospel message and called people to come and hear and to act upon that, you see it in their lives. And boy, it's devastating. It's difficult. And finally, they let go of that seat. Finally, they they allow the Holy Spirit to pull them toward God. And they begin the walk of faith. That Even that first step is a step of trust, a step of faith in God. And, and then they begin that walk, walk where they actually, and you can see it, it becomes an emotional, they emotionally release. And even believers who've known God for a long time, but have walked in fear, have lived out sin in their lives, they've, they've not listened to God. You can see when finally they begin to walk in faith again, it is an emotional release. They just let go of all that all that they've been struggling with and literally you can see that constriction of sin and that constriction of, of fear and doubt release and all of a sudden boom they're crying 
they're weeping, they're on their knees before God. And when they get up, there is such a relief. There's such a release from that, that it's almost a euphoria. And, and it is genuinely that in their minds and in their hearts because their emotions and all the doubt that's in their head is released and it's powerful. It's very powerful. But when you're not walking by faith, if you're a believer and when you're walking in sin and when you're walking in doubt, even if you haven't come to that place where you've actually in your heart and your mind trusted God, boy, it's, it's the timidity. I can't say it enough, the timidity that takes place in people's lives is so real. And sometimes you need a, a big, uh, loud pastor out there doing it. Sometimes you need somebody like Sweet Diane, Pastor Terry's wife, who just loves you and pats you on the back, tells you how not, n nothing intimidating about her, just totally right there encouraging. You've got all those, you've got all those different styles and different ways, but all of a sudden, Somehow, some lifeline that's throwing out, I'm out there booming the cannon and trying to fire off as, as far out in the sea, a lifeboat. And sometimes you just really need that person over there to throw that little life vest out there with the rope on it, say, here, honey, grab hold of it. That's what, I mean, really, you just never can tell who and what style and what, what character and what personality is going to help a person let go and let God. You just never can tell. And that's why God got us all kinds of different personalities in the church and all kinds of people to encourage. Some of us are bold. I think of I think of Tina up there, just bold in, in everything she does. Me, I'm like a bull in a china shop sometimes. And then I think of some of the very kind, sweet, quiet people who are really just giving steadily, loving steadily, serving steadily, reaching out to people relentlessly, really. Sometimes the quietest and most gentle can be the most relentless. And let me tell you, we need those people. That And eventually the person lets go. And it sounds like in, in this, Jacob is talking to his sons and he is just tired of them not acting according to the wisdom and the clear open doors that God's given them. And he's looked at them and says, why do you look at one another? Why are you trying to figure out whether or not you should do something based off of what your brothers are thinking? Why don't you do what God's clearly opened the door to do? That's what he says in verse one. And he said, verse two, indeed, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Seems reasonable. Seems real reasonable. Real reasonable. I think Jacob's got it nailed. I think that's probably true. The refrigerator's empty and the grocery store got no food. But in, in Egypt, if you go down there, we might have some food and we might be able to eat. And you know what? <clears throat> I'm thinking that's a good idea because starving is not the preferred method to live your life. And we know we need some food. And if we don't get some food quick, all our animals and all of us are going to perish. And why do you keep looking at yourselves? Get up and go to Egypt and get us some food. Dad's right. Don't you think? I think old Jacob's right. I think he should. they should get up and go. But you know what? They're looking around trying to figure out who's going to go and why is this going? And all the all of a sudden, fear, doubt, sin, a lifestyle of not chasing after God creates timidity when we're in when we're facing the plan of God and the purpose of God for our life. And you know what? The only way for you to only way you get past that is to let go of the pew 
and get out there and get to doing God's will and release yourself from those sins and release yourself from those difficulties. And let me tell you, chasing after God's the only way to get out of it. That's the only way to get out of it. That's the only way to get out of it. I want to say it again. It's the only way to get out of it. He says in verse three, so Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Notice it's 10, not 11. There's 10 of them, not 11, okay? Now there's a reason for that. And the reason is, but Jacob, verse four, did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Now notice, he realizes that his sons are basically a expanded version of the three stooges. He realizes that they're Curly, Moe, and Shemp. And he realizes that there's no way he's going to send his second favorite son. His favorite son was Joseph. His second favorite son was Benjamin because they were the daughters of Rebecca. He was not going to send, not Rebecca, Rachel. He was not going to send them, her, his only son from Rachel. He was not going to send him to Egypt with these, with these yahoos. He wasn't going to do it. And, and the reason is because he didn't trust these brothers to act properly and to do properly. He's sending them to Egypt because he's desperate. But the truth is his sons, generally speaking, don't make good decisions. They made them, made themselves a pariah where they lived by, uh, by killing all the people in a village over their sister who actually probably wanted the relationship with the young man that she was having the relationship, but they had their pride at stake and they went and acted rashly and murdered a whole village. And then all of a sudden he sends his best son to go check on them. And they come back with, with a shady and unlikely story that they found his coat somewhere out in the wilderness bloodied up and he must be dead. Very unlikely. If he was attacked by an animal, the likelihood is nothing would have been found. And that story just don't hold water. That's what we say in the South. It, just, it can't hunt. Okay. And that's, and he's sitting there going, I'm going to send them down to Egypt because we need some food. But the truth is I'm not sending Benjamin, my, my youngest and favorite son that's left because these yahoos end up losing him too. And wow, what a statement of your character and nature when your father and your mother and you're an adult can't trust you to do what's, what's absolutely critical for the family. And that's exactly what was going on here. It was absolutely critical for the family that these things take place and he can't trust them because they do not act in wisdom and they do not act with a character that can be trusted. I, I encourage you, in, in, in the place where we are today, in the place you are today, to not you to live your life faithlessly, even if you're a believer. And I'd encourage you to, to take off all those things that so easily distract you from what God has for you and to run your race with freedom and to run your race with your lungs full of the, the air and the life that God has for you and to run your race of life completely and not end up 40, 50, 60 years old, still trying to figure out how to walk in powerful grace. I just can't overemphasize this enough. It is sad that these 10 young men, men that are not old men yet, these 10 young men cannot be trusted with their little brother to go down to Egypt to get the grain because they have their sin and their lack of faith 
has proven to be such a disability for them that they can't be trusted. I would say, I'd say to you, don't put yourself in that position. And if you are in that position, begin to walk in faith and in power, begin to speak words of life. And the only way you can speak words of life is for you to read and study and hear God's words being spoken into your heart. Take on that. And if any of you lack wisdom, we find in James chapter one, let him ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Begin to seek out God's truth in his word and let it embolden you as King David would do when, whenever it's a very terrible, terrible, difficult time. He put on that ephod, which is a picture of the priesthood, and he would, he'd go out there and he'd strengthen himself in the Lord. How did he strengthen himself in the Lord? Well, he, he went out there and listened to God and worshiped God and heard God's word and walked by faith. And that's how he gained strength. And if you want strength for the life that you're living in the life to come, you got to take on the character and nature of God. You got to take on his will and his purposes. You got to begin to open your eyes up and see what's going on around you and, <clears throat> and place God as the primary variable in the equation. Are you following me? And the, here's the thing. He's not a variable. He's the constant of the equation. In every situation, there's God. In every opportunity, there's God. In every issue and problem, there's God. In every stumble and fall, there's God is always there to provide his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his power, his might to your life. And it's there has to come a time where you say, <clears throat> where are you, God, in this situation? And you'll learn to say it all the time. It, it grows on you. It becomes second nature. You just begin to, where are you in this situation, Lord? Where are you in this situation, Lord? Where are you in this situation, Lord? And then you find him and you get in on his side. Because on his side, there's no timidity. On his side, there's no doubt. On his side, there's no fear. On his side, you can be trusted. On his side, you can be expected to be an overcomer. And that's the way life is. It always has been. And it always will be. And it always will be for God's people. And I am overly, I think I am out of this world excited that I get to pastor a group of people who are that way. They're fired up about it. More and more, and God's sending not only fired up people, but he's sending so many talented, so many purpose-filled people in their hearts and their minds and their lives to be a part of what God's doing with us. And it excites me every moment of every day to think about it. And so I would say to you, join God in this. If you're watching somewhere else or watching or hearing this many years from now, the truth is constant, okay? It's not It's not relative. I know in the world we live in, Everybody wants to think that uh, truth is relative. It's not. It's not. It's not an abstract idea that can't be really fully understood. Listen to me. It's not. God is constant and he's true and he's real. He's objectively the truth beyond you. And when you grab hold of him, you're going to have his very best. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.